I was in the open AI very early access before it was live. And I showed this to friends who came over and I said, you know, try this tool. It's just a prompt box, enter what you want. And everybody pretty much started right with it, with a search, just search the internet. Sure. Then they started saying like, whoa, this thing feels kind of like I'm talking to a computer or actually conversing with it. Right. And then, and then their eyes, like people's more minds were blown. Like that led to where we're at today, where you really now can have a conversational interface with a computer. In fiction, artificial intelligence often takes the form of artificial personalities. Robots like the hosts of Westworld, Ava from Ex Machina, and David from the film that was literally just called AI. And the more ethereal cloud-based AIs like Samantha from Her or Iron Man's Jarvis. Now, back in episode four, we learned how the latest, buzziest version of artificial intelligence works. The underpinnings of the large language models like ChatGPT, which rely on faraway servers to bring you their strikingly intelligent chatbot experiences. But today, we're talking about a different kind of intelligence that happens locally. Meaning, inside your phone or TV or eventually your smart toaster oven, what have you. This kind of generative AI is important because it can make a lot of things in your life, to borrow a phrase from Daft Punk, better, faster, stronger, and uh, hopefully not harder. To find out how, I went to MediaTek's annual Executive Summit in California, where it lays out its plans for the future. And there, I sat down with one of the mobile industry's most tenured analysts with a simple request. To get me away from the buzzwords and lingo and tech demos, and tell me, and you, how this flavor of AI will change our world. This is Living in the Future, a podcast powered by MediaTek that tells the story of technology that's evolved beyond the TV screen, transformed from fantastical cinematic science fiction to actual products that change the way we live and work. I'm your host, Michael Fisher, and this is Episode 7, Generative AI. This podcast is sponsored by MediaTek, whose global footprint gives it a strong position for the next era of AI innovation. MediaTek is building a future where generative AI processing will be performed at the edge. That means right inside your smartphone, tablet, smart TV, and even your vehicle. As we'll hear about, putting AI at the edge will make the next generation of AI faster and more seamless, so you can be more productive, unlock more creativity, and get more out of life. Thanks to MediaTek for sponsoring this podcast. <laughs> My guest today is Ben Baharan, CEO and Principal Analyst at Creative Strategies, where his focus is on the relationship between humans and technology. He's covered consumer technology for over 20 years, and his research has been published everywhere from TechCrunch to Time. Ben, welcome to the future. Thanks for having me. I am very glad to have you. Folks, we're coming to you live, as I said in the intro, from Laguna Beach at the MediaTek Executive Summit, where right outside where we are recording, 
They are erecting what I take to be a, what, would you say, a 40-foot-high fake Christmas tree? At least 40-foot. Yeah, yep. there's like a steel frame out there, folks. They're uh, they're hanging all kinds of fake plants on it. What's interesting is the Christmas lights are already pre-installed, and they are lit up as they're installing them, which I find fascinating. And dangerous. It very. Uh, but no one is going to be crushed by the giant machine they're using to make it because it beeps every time it moves. Folks, there's nothing I can do about it. I hope you can't hear it, but if you can, well... That's just live radio, isn't it? That's right. It's live. <laughs> All right, let's talk about what we're here to talk about. Let's uh, do it. I want to start with one of my favorite quotes I heard on stage here at the summit from an AI researcher who said, we are surrounded by lots of devices, but by and large, they're dumb devices. And I, I thought that was really interesting. The conceit is that to make them smart, the argument goes, these devices need to have generative AI added to them. So my first question is a two-parter. It is, what makes the phones and smart devices we have today dumb in context? And how does generative AI help? So it, it's, it's a good framing, to be honest with you. I think, you know, just looking back at the transition from feature phones to smartphones, as we were all a part of, um, you use these things and I think you sort of looked at them and said, well, they're still actually not that smart. So I think yeah. the critique is actually correct, right? The root of it is, well, what... What do we do to make them smart? And the difference being very much like our personal computers, which may also become smart uh, at some point in this context, they're very action driven, right? It just does, you decide you're going to do something, you do it. Yeah. Where, where I think this gets really interesting, and you see some hints of this today with some of the things that Google and Apple does, where it really starts to anticipate your behavior. It, it, it tries to pre, uh, pre-decide or predetermine some things if it thinks you want to do that. So it feels more you know, assistant-ish or um, aiding kind of in that. And I think that's where we're hinting at. I don't know if we're there yet, but I think that's that's where we're hinting. So based on what it knows about you, it tries to anticipate your needs and serve them to you without you having to ask. Right. Basically. Imagine the best personal assistant in the world. If you've, you know, I always have this funny, this quote I have with, with friends of mine who are CEOs of organizations. They'll be like, once you find a good personal assistant, you never let them go. You take them with them with you everywhere that you go. Right. And this was part of the the uh, value prop when we were being sold, I don't know, about 10 years ago, uh, Google Assistant and Siri and stuff yep. like that was supposed to be the dream was an Alexa. These were supposed to be the things that became your digital assistant. Exactly. As we, I talked about in a previous episode, um, that is not the world that we currently live in because right. assistants have been kind of degrading for ages. And, and I think that's the contrast everyone's coming from where you kind of saw this potential, right? Something that felt like it was going to really help you in these tasks and you could talk to it somewhat naturally. We'll get into that. Maybe not yeah. really naturally, but it was different than typing keystrokes, right? Or right. searching for that. And I think that's where the vision was presented, but it was very limited, right? Yes. And what it can do in its information. And I think that's the the base we're coming from with the very kind of different world that we live in now because of generative AI and how that sort of changed our equation. So I'm I'm coming to the conversation as something of an AI skeptic. I don't want to. There's no other capital S on that. Um, I, I'm willing to be convinced. But like, look, someone on stage yesterday shared a, a personal opinion, which he said more than once was his personal opinion that AI feels like it's uh, might might be a bit of a bubble, and you almost can't help but feel that way because of, there's so much hype around it. And one aspect of that hype, and I've got to call it out because I just want to get it out of the way and never want to talk about it again. Because it's this demo that everyone loves to show. Uh, you, you hold up a phone, you take a picture, and then you say, you know, I'd like to zoom out on that picture, but I actually didn't step back far enough. So you do it, you pinch to reverse pinch to zoom, 
And what do you know? The phone starts creating more picture, just weaving new reality out of whole cloth uh, to produce scenery that never existed. Well, that's very technically impressive, but beyond photographers and content creators, I don't see the utility of something like that for basically anyone. So I would love to hear from you some potential uses of generative AI that actually would be useful to normal folks. Sure. And I, and I think approaching this with skepticism is, is good in the world that we live in. And, and I would also say every cycle, every computing cycle that we've seen from the history of the industry has always started with a bubble. Like just people go, this is really interesting. Let's try all sorts of stuff. Mm. And we literally don't have any idea where that's going to go. But that experimentation is useful, right? That innovation sure. is just useful. It creates something will come, the dust will settle. It's we're in, throw the spaghetti. Great. <laughs> and that's fantastic. And, and that's where I think what we're doing right now is trying to find exactly what you're saying is, you know, what are those things, right? I think you've got a couple different ways to think about this because we're talking about mobile. That's a very different reality than like our PCs and, you know, maybe even our cars. But this part, I think, is specific to that phone's the most personal computer you've ever used. 100%. So some, some part of this that I think is really interesting is, well, what if it just keeps learning more about me? What if everything of its function becomes much more tuned to me, which is different than you, right? So if we picked yeah. up the same phone, it's a brand or whatever, your experience is different than mine because yes. it knows me so much more deeply. It might know where I live, my family is, what my dog likes, where I like to eat on Tuesdays at 1230. Like, right. and, and then and become that kind of smart companion, if you will. And I'll use companion differently than assistant in, in this context. Mm hmm but that's the that's the the things that we look for is how does it really add that depth of value and things like personalization and even increased utility you know i think in a basic sense if you if you think using generative ai is the most natural language you're going to be able to have with the computer right so so i so I, my question broadly is then okay what tasks or what um workflows or friction can we eliminate from our our lives in user interface with natural language, right? Imagine that if your phone was blank, but a search bar or a, or a, or a, or a bar. Just a total blank screen. Take all the apps off your home screen. And it's just make it a, make it a text input bar. Okay. Schedule tomorrow lunch with Michael at his place. Done. Got it. On my calendar. Your phone does the, just shoots the email for you, puts it on your calendar. Send an email to, you know, Tracy asking if we can meet together next week. Right. I mean, that's intriguing, right? You've just eliminated a bunch of friction sure. just in that basic use case. Absolutely. And I, you eliminate even more friction if you can transmute that into a voice interface, which I think like voice interface has gotten a lot of heat recently. It has. Because like, we're not going to get into humane, but like, you know, there, there's, it's a screen is very convenient, it turns out. And when you don't have one and you have to talk to your computer right. for everything. But I would rather in that specific case that you talked about, like schedule lunch for me. I would rather just talk to it. I'd, I wouldn't want to type it out. Yes. But, but regardless, okay. Um, why is this stuff only possible with AI, though? Like, why can't existing computing do this as well or better? Is it because of that disconnect that we touched on earlier between, between like, modern computing requires you to come prepared to ask it for something? Yes. So I think the best way to kind of look at this is many of your followers or others, right, might have followed the advancements of Google with DeepMind and there's been some breakthroughs in transformer models, and we don't need to get into the depth of that. But yeah, those, we did on a previous podcast. Those, those breakthroughs detail, yeah. led to, and, and I hate to use this term, but in its simplicity, generative AI is just matrix multiplication. Can it figure out what you want next and do it in a sequence of events? Okay. That's, that's matrix multiplication. So that's really all this is. 
but it's being done in a way that's been, in this case, trained on a very wide amount of information. That's your GPT and your Google Bard and your Claude, right? Right. So those things led to the moment where we are today, where, you know, I, I was in the open AI very early access before it was live. And I showed this to friends who came over and I said, you know, try this tool, it's just a prompt box, enter what you want. And everybody pretty much started right with a, with a search, just search the internet. Sure. Then they started seeing like, whoa, this thing feels kind of like I'm talking to, talking to a computer or actually conversing with right. and then and then their eyes like people's more minds were blown like it's the first first time since maybe like showing someone an iPhone mm-hmm. and hopefully Vision Pro that people like <laughs> their minds are blown when, when they try it because they were so astounded and it just broke their 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 paradigm and so yeah. that led to where we're at today where you really now can have a what feels like conversational interface with a computer I am wondering about that because I, so I think I, I had a moment like that, which I may have mentioned in that previous AI episode where I was having, I, I'm used to having a conversation with a computer. Do you remember Eliza on the Commodore 64 yeah. and the yes. Apple III, right? Yes. It was like, wow, we're dating ourselves. Absolutely. Right? Like, I mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I was like seven years old or something, <laughs> but you know, um, I, I kind of got that shtick within a day or so, even yeah. as a kid. I'm like, yeah. okay, it's kind of faking being a person. I get it. Chat GPT felt like a, a, a newer version of that to me until I said, hey, I want to play a text adventure in the style of the late 80s. Right. Can you create a text adventure, but set it in the world of, you know, Star Trek Deep Space Nine? And it's like, yeah, sure. Okay, now I want you to make the, make your voice uh, one of the characters' names. And it did it. Yep. And that I think that was the moment for me where I was like, oh, wow. Okay, so this is why it's different. This is why right. it's, you know, right. it is a totally different way of interacting. Um, but I, I, have a, I have another question. Go for it. This currently requires... A computer or a device connected to the internet, right? I am totally fine with uh, interacting with a with an AI model that has to go somewhere else on the internet to the cloud to fetch the information it needs. Um, and we're in a moment right now where it feels like there's a perpetual explosion of just broadband connectivity everywhere. Talk about 5G for better or worse all the time. Talk about Wi-Fi. Like there's so much connectivity everywhere. Why do I care that this uh, new peak in discussion is happening on the device. Why is generative AI important? Because it lives on your phone? Because it lives on your computer? lives locally? What advantages does that offer? I think the the root of that is um, there will be information that it can collect about you that resides on that device, right? Not everything is in, in the cloud. And if it's in the cloud, it may or may not be easily accessible, right, to, okay. to, to collect. So you sort of have two parts to this equation, right? The the side that is software development. So softwares are going to, developers are going to write a bunch of really interesting software that we haven't seen yet. And you'll want to experiment with those and, you know, install those locally. And and there's the two equations there is it could be really expensive for you and that developer, meaning that your costs increase to buy that software because it runs on the internet and they need to cover their costs which is very expensive to run. Because it takes a lot of power. A lot of power, tons of computing. Yes, they distribute those costs against everybody who's requesting it's amortized, but it's also still a cost, right? Mm-hmm. We, we don't pay for a ton of software today that's just purely hosted in the cloud. And we're now just you know renting that, if you will, right? Yeah, that we real estate. Subscribe to a lot of right. services. We get a lot of apps for free. And to some degree, we might pay a moderate subscription. But obviously, again, most of that stuff has a local slash sort of cloud environment, right? Okay. But so running it locally lets you do it more cheaply. Save costs is one. 
Um, the other one I think is really interesting is personalization. I think it's going to be much, much more difficult to have these personally tuned models that go back to the cloud and like train your persona in the cloud. Like it gets really, really weird to take that local device and say, I've learned about you. I've learned about your habits. I'm anticipating your behavior. That's going to take locally. And and there's a lot of compute that goes into even something that basic. Doesn't that introduce a risk, though? Like, I love right now for not AI things, but messaging solutions, right? Like, everyone always asks, so you change phones all the time, Michael. How do you do that? And I'm yeah. like, well, everything's in the cloud. I don't need, I don't do a lot of local yeah. storage. You yeah. Know? So isn't that a risk? You know, your your phone learns you wonderfully, and then you go down a, say, a water slide, or you, uh, you drop it in the toilet, or you, you drop it on the street, you break your phone. And yeah. then all that knowledge is lost, isn't it? Yeah. You're, I think there'll still be a hybrid environment where some of that is still, what do you know, stored and or used in the cloud. Okay. But you need to offload some of that compute to the edge in this case. How much, we don't know yet, right? This is the discussion. Yeah. Where does this technology go that lets us offload enough that it's viable to the developer? It's it's also private or secure for me, but there's going to be a fraction of that that's offloaded. We don't know how much, but... That's where that local part comes in. How much is it capable of, which will allow us to move some of that from the cloud to the device? I was going to ask this later, but I'll ask it now. Um, this is a, There was a moment where I was seeing a demonstration of AI recently where I felt almost too, like the question was too stupid to ask because it sounded too simple to me. We were being given a demo of, a, I think it was a phone running a local yeah. large language model and he was like, ask it things like how to get to, you know, ask it for directions to someplace or ask it for suggestions on what to cook for dinner. And I was like, okay, I get that running it locally on this phone means that the mechanisms required for the AI to function don't need the internet. Right. But the information it's fetching, it needs to be on the phone too. Absolutely. So you're asking for, so like, tell me the 20 best recipes for New England clam chowder. It has to be ready to kind of respond to any question, right? Yeah. So doesn't it have to... Does, don't you have to effectively download a whole copy of the internet for this, yeah. <laughs> yeah. for this to be actually workable? So so the, the part about this that I think is important to understand is, is there's domain-specific walls, if you will, right? So some some things that are domain-specific make a lot of sense to run locally. They, they all may not, right? In this case, what you're presenting is like, if you need to search the internet, you will not have the internet in your stored locally on your pocket right. anytime soon. If maybe ever, yeah. right? So so you still need that bit of the relationship in terms of, of what it can go and get. Now, system level tasks, operating system level things, that's what I think we'll see first. I, I mean, I, I'm with you. I'm not convinced that we just want to sit here and do LLM queries on our device for very basic. Like, that's not as useful. And, and the reality is, and I think everyone should recognize this, that as as much as I track local compute in terms of capabilities, it will never be as good as what's in the cloud. Mm. That's the reality. Mm -hmm. Your cloud computer will always be probably 100x more capable than anything you have on your lap, on your desk, or in your pocket. But that doesn't mean that there's some software experiences that, again, I think developers will use that actually need those local resources in order to fend function in the use cases that you care about. And I do think a lot of them will be system level, but a lot of them will also you know, move toward... Um, some productivity use cases, which I know is boring to talk about, but we know <laughs> yeah. most humans still use their smartphones as a part of their job. Sure. So there is corporate email checking. Like th those things will will factor into an area where you'll want to run more of that on device. It'll be faster. 
Um, it'll actually be more efficient to do so. And then more importantly, like it's not going to cost you or your organization more to give you those capabilities on device. Right. Because it's already built into the package right. you bought. But the internet, like you just said, like all that stuff, clam chowder, is that the red or the white? Uh, is, uh, <laughs> yeah. This is the broad question of like, that's, that's not going to happen. But right. these very specific models have value at the edge. And that's what developers are going to, I mean, we're really not in a developer cycle yet, but they, they will go down this path. Just to cover the other thing that was a stupid question, which was for years ago for me, it took me a very long time to know what the hell the edge was. The edge. <laughs> so, Not Bono and the edge. We're talking I about was, a very different edge here. Say, yeah, I'm like, yeah. you're talking about 2G connectivity, right? <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what was it? Enhanced data rates for generational yes, evolution or man. something? Woo! What an but, acronym. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, can you describe the edge in one sentence? Just for anybody who you know, is not fully plugged into those. Right, world. right. So so edge edge in this con construct just means a device that's not in the cloud. Got so it. cloud, data centers, infrastructure, Amazon micro, yada, yada, device, edge, computers, watches, glasses, Vision Pro, and Quest, smartphones, Perfect. et cetera. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> uh, and just to get away from the phone for a second, because my predisposition is toward the phone. I yeah. always want to hang out there. It's sure. like Star Trek. I'm like, this is the one thing I like. Um, but how do generative AI capabilities enhance other categories like the smart assistants that I've been complaining about for a long time or automotive? Um, you know, could this finally fix the, the, the issues I've been complaining about for a long time where it's like this is way dumber than it should be in 2023? 100%. I think, again, right, if anybody who's driven a Tesla and has seen some of the smarts that go into that, right, it knows your routes, it knows how busy um, any station's going to be if it needs to take you there. It it has information about you like that. There's AI there. It's maybe not as obvious. I think this this natural language conversation we're having with a computer is like the most obvious. Yeah. But a lot of AI happens today in the background and we don't think of it as AI, but there's a lot going on. These are good examples, right? You're right about automotive, your car actually being more smart, doing things for you, anticipating you know, again, Tesla does this, right? Hey, you're, you're going to run out of gas in 100 miles. Here's where you should go. Like, it, yeah. it knows these things because of sensors. That's that's smart, right. in my opinion. Right? You try that, you're like, that's not dumb. That's that's smart. That's wonderful. And yeah. so th those are the things we'll see. And, and, and p you know, computers. Computers are going to be smart. We're on the cusp of an AI PC, whatever that gets defined. Your laptop and, you know, desktops, workstations are actually going to get smarter in these contexts in terms of their ability to also anticipate and work with you in natural conversational interfaces. Yeah, I saw uh, the most recent version of that I saw was I got a review device that's, you know, a Windows 11, you know, it's, it's yeah, Spectre file. Yep. And yeah, Google suddenly, you know, Windows update happens and there's Copilot in the dock. And it reminded me, of course, of Cortana showing up there and the, right. you know, about a decade ago. Right. But this is a totally different thing. This is a system-wide. System-wide, system yeah. There was actually some research. I think this is an interesting point just to think about. Um, most people are not like you and I and others that just use the crap out of our devices, like every bit of computing we will use. Right. And, and, and it pointed out that most people with their devices, most normal consumers only use like 20 to 30 percent of those capabilities. Totally. Yeah. And so an interesting question is, well, what if you eliminated learning barriers right now? All of a sudden, someone can actually conversationally edit a photo right with that they want or mm. do something deeper with excel that they could have never done before as boring as that is you're right literally anything with excel in my case like i can't do anything right else. and all of a sudden you're an excel expert because yeah. all you do is say make me a table that does this and does the cagger of whatever I love and that. all of a sudden you're right so so the point is like what if it gives you the ability to do more than you could before because it's taking that learning curve out because now you're just talking with it in a normal way yeah i know i would have i would really be able to use that yeah 
have an embarrassing fact to share about that. I failed a computer intro to computers in college mm -hmm. because we got to a spreadsheet and database portion. <laughs> I was like, I could not care less about this. But uh, that's my problem. Um, yeah. One of the infamous problems with AI is this uh, the issue of so-called hallucination, mm. where the assistant, you know, confidently lies to you. Confidently. <laughs> and when you say confidently, you're not even joking. Like, it's, oh. it is convinced. It is correct. Straight up. Totally. Uh, not to pick on Humane, but most recently they had this problem in that launch video for the AI pen. You know, yeah. the, the pen's assistant gave, what, inaccurate information about the amount of protein in a handful of almonds yeah. and told people to uh, plan to travel to the completely wrong continent to go watch an eclipse. Tremendous. Holy crap. Uh, there's, there's like, there's no less hazard of this be just yeah. because the thing is running, the model's running locally on the device, right? It's, it's still just going to lie to you. The only benefit to the device in that context is it's purposely, uh, a much less robust model that only focuses on specific information. So I'll just give you an example, right? Your recipe example. Let's just say okay. somebody recipe brand a decides to fine tune a model, an LLM model in their app just for you and and literally put every recipe combination. You could say, look, I'm, I am I have an affinity for saffron. And so here you go, like the soup takes saffron. Like, and But they could tune it in a way that it was very, very accurate just to that information because it's not trying to be the whole internet. It's just trying to have a robust re recipe database and then allow for you to have some creativity within that to tweak the recipes. I see. That would be accurate because it just it's using facts in this case. Information it knows. It's not trying to go pick out information here and there and then resolve it back in a way everywhere. From everywhere because it's just it's fine-tuned. That's the industry model we talk about. It's a fine-tuned model. It's fine-tuned for recipes and that will be more accurate. So well, I mean what that mean you you'll have to go Eventually, you'll have to go download a bunch of different LLMs. Like like today, we have to download a bunch of different apps, like 200 apps to make your phone useful. No, because it'll be built into the app. So you download, I don't know, a recipe app. Oh, and it's in the software. Now, now where this matters locally is just the sheer size of that model will either not run on that device because it doesn't have enough capabilities or enough memory. Memory is an interesting limitation here with yeah. these models. But but it like can't RAM. be yet yeah, RAM. Okay. It can't be too too big yet. Someday it can get bigger. But that's our our limitation. Our limitation is the size of a model in billions of parameters that can run locally based on local compute and memory constraints. So, question: Is this going to, in your opinion, uh, create a kind of a gold rush for like storage? Like, are we going to see phones that that uh, that emphasize even more and more storage and start selling themselves based on that? Because right now, sure, you can buy, you can spend six hundred more dollars on a one terabyte device versus yeah. a hundred twenty-eight gig, but it's not really an emphasis anymore because we've been talking about cloud for so long. Right, like, you don't really need that much local storage. Right now, do we? Do we yeah. need a lot more local storage you, in this you, new era? You'll you'll need local storage. I'll just, I mean, I'll just give you an example. I have a range of these models running locally on uh, on my Mac. Uh, a seven billion parameter models, like maybe five gigabits of gigabytes of data. Is a seven billion parameter model big, or is that a small? That's it's small. I mean, OpenAI is like a trillion plus, but you know, okay. in the grand scheme of like seven billion parameter models, small, but the, one of the best we can run on a device accurately. So that takes you know four, four ish, five gigs. Okay. Uh, a thirty two um, requires twenty eight or so based optimization. But it's so, it's so, so yeah, assume that those apps have come with a lot of information, storage matters. And then again, the, the memory matters. Like we're, we might see in, you know, things north of 
16 gigabit gigabytes become normal in phones because it's necessary. Because you need that much RAM. Yeah. I would love that because we Android manufacturers have been using RAM. Some Android manufacturers right. have been right. using RAM as a buying thing for for years when really ultimately the Android system just kind of closes apps in the background. Right. It doesn't really matter. So you're saying I should invest in storage solution manufacturers. Storage, <laughs> memory, you know, memory is going to be one of those things yeah. that's pervasive. It's creating huge demands, not just in the data center, but on device. And then, you know, obviously the, the silicon capabilities need to keep increasing as well. We're, we're at a point in time where even in the even in the cloud, we have more demand for compute because of AI than we actually have capacity for. Wow. And that's going to be the case for at least another year, if not longer, where the silicon companies cannot catch up with software. And wow. that's why we're in this spaghetti period, and it's okay because they'll figure that out. But we are very limited in our capabilities based on the compute we have today. That's wild. I didn't know there was that kind of bottleneck happening right now as a result of it. And like, what, two years ago, before anybody was talking about any of this, that didn't, no, the demand didn't exist. No, it was like an immediate, holy crap, we no longer have enough GPU compute, CPU compute, AI accelerators are on device, are just barely scratching the surface of what they'll do. So it's, it's, it's put a lot of pressure on the semiconductor industry as a whole. But like I said, we're, these models get bigger as they get bigger, they need more compute, right? Better GPUs, more GPUs, more CPUs, more yeah. memory, et cetera. So that's not slowing down. That's a, a good run we're on right now where we just don't have enough compute. Um, I want to get back to the human equation for, uh, as we kind of get closer to wrapping up here. Um, I am excited by some of the potential of some of this. I'm actually more excited than I was when I, we started the conversation. Less of a skeptic. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, st okay. I like to think I'm still a skeptic, okay. but, but yeah. Um, I, there's another demo I often see that I actually hate even more than the zooming mm -hmm. out on the photo thing. You, you see a company, I think Microsoft did this with Copilot. Pretty much every company does it. They will uh, present the illustration of some harried person who just can't be bothered to stop for two seconds and text his wife that he's going to be late for dinner or whatever. Mm. And it's just like, oh, tell her I'm going to be late. And then it's like, okay, I'll send that you'll be late for dinner. It's like, no, 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 wait, make that more, more lovey-dovey because I, I feel bad about it. Okay, and then it adds a stupid emoji to it. I effing hate that. Stop. Just talk to each other like humans, right? So, like, I mean, I, I hate imagining a world in which I read a text from a friend and I have to pause and ask, did I, did they write this? Yeah. Or did they ask a phone to write it for them? Is this really right. in their voice? It drives me crazy. I, right. I hate that. So, do you envision cultural pushback on that element of AI as it becomes more common? Or am I just an old guy who's just no, like, whatever? No, I, I mean, I think, I think you're right. I think people will inherently, and they did, right, with ChatGPT kind of get really weirded out by kind of how real it was. Like yeah. you were just conversing with the computer and it felt like you were <laughs> texting a human, right? Yeah. So it did. It weirded a lot of people out. And I think with any transition that happens, right, yeah. uh, like like I'm sure you've talked about before, um, you know, putting things on our faces and having cameras, sure. pointing people are going to weird people out, right? Taking pictures in public. Weirded people out for Probably. a long time. So selfie sticks, right? Still the object of derision. Correct, which, which yeah. you used today yeah, in, 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 a, in an amazing way. <laughs> um, but th those those transitions, they do. They weird people out. And, and I imagine, right, having something like actually really anticipate your behavior and be correct is, is going to weird people out. Yeah. Right? But I think the intrinsic value of those things will work themselves out over time. So it may not be long. I think people will get over that. But I also think... 
they need to believe in its privacy, right? The, yes. the, 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 and that's where I think the on-device adds a lot of value because if you're really weirded out that like, again, it knows your schedule, it knows where you are, it knows where you might want to be at lunch today because you're in between meetings. Like I can see people saying like, yeah, sure, I value a private version of that. I want the features, but I want it to be private. And that's really where on-device will exceed over cloud 100% of the time. Got it. Do you, do you think... Um... I don't remember the brand name of this company, but there are several companies that exist to basically authenticate uh, a photograph. Yeah, they say like the yeah. watermark it right. effectively and right. say like this is real or right. this was AI generated. Right. Do you think that something might arise to do that for text? I do, and video same way, right? We want to yeah. be able to label deep fake, deep fake, oh, so say sure. look, that's not real, so people aren't you know living in mis misinformation. Right. Um, I do think that that will have to be labeled in some way because again, you, you won't you won't distinguish it, right? Yeah. Synthetic versus real, like we use this robot, right? This synthetic term. Yeah. Um, I think people are going to want to know those things, whether they're branded or or whatnot, especially if I'm I'm sending you a text. Yeah. Um, but I think that will help part of this adoption process, right? Quell their concerns, know what's real and what's not real, but still get some of the intrinsic value of these innovations. Yeah, because I think there is a lot of value to this. It's just a matter of ironing out a lot of the, the, the issues we spoke about earlier. But really, that trust factor is important. I don't, the creepiness personally doesn't get to me too much. I was I remember the Palm Pre kind of uh, uh, hype cycle. When it was just I, Roger, who's the investor with the long hair? He's, oh, McNamara. Yeah. yeah. And Mac he was on me. Mac to me. Yeah. And he was on a, on a talk show. He's just like, remember, this thing has a clock and it has a GPS and it has a calendar and it can tell you if you're going to be late to a meeting and you better leave now. And at the time in 2009, that was like, yeah. I remember the message board discussions being like, I don't know if I want my phone to be my nanny. That's really weird. Of course, now that's we're you know, used to that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Just random backstory. I, I worked on that project a ton. The operating system for uh, for pre on WebOS for yeah. Oh, for, and I didn't and know that yeah. I was, did a bunch of research. A lot of a lot of the the research that we put into that on how to compete ended up coming to these things. But I remember this distinct conversation. Like people are going to be really weirded out. And my whole conviction went back to the original point we said, which is I said. Most of our devices, they don't feel smart. So let's make an actual smart OS. Yeah. And that was sort of the pitch to the team at the time on how it would differentiate. And parts of it were there. I wish we could have gone farther, but compute, sure. right? Yeah. was what it was. But we had that conversation like this. What if this weirds people out and that hurts adoption? They don't like it. And so it was, it was already a part of that conversation back then. Wow. That's wild. You and I have got to talk uh, about about that you know, off off mic for a while. You got I it. I didn't know that. That's anytime. Um, finally, if you had to boil generative AI's potential down to like, I was going to say one sentence. You don't have to use sure. one sentence. But to to, to 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 tell a normal person, yeah, somebody who doesn't sit here and listen to the buzzwords and the acronyms all day, to to, to make them understand why it's important, because I do think it's important, it regardless is. of how you feel about it. What would that be? How would you sum it up? Yeah, I think s emphasizing real natural language interactions with computers is, is kind of the selling nut. That's really the least sexy way to talk about this. But but letting people not have to have any learning curve to use any app, any function, any computer, any camera, any media, any video, you name it, and just be able to say, I want you to do this, and it goes and, do, and does it, I think has a lot of value. And I think that's what people will, will see when they try these things. That would be crazy. I never thought of that. Uh, I have to, to teach my dad to use a lot of tech because I yes, give same. my dad a lot of tech. And, you know, yeah, we are all the tech 
IT people of our community. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Can you fix this printer? No, probably not. Because <laughs> <laughs> printers are the worst inventions <laughs> in mankind. Absolutely history. they are. But but no, that would be wonderful. Or even a smartwatch. Like yep. I love my Garmin smartwatches, but they're controlled by six buttons. It's very yeah. confusing. It's not intuitive. Right. If you could just push one button and say, do this. Right. Oh yeah, that right. would be. And just and just to abstract that larger to the future, because we like these things. If you envision Humane's a good example, AR glasses, even Vision Pro, this interface, this truth, I think is just essential for these things to be used. Mm -hmm. Like you can't go through this massive learning curve of pinch to zoom and typing in the air on a virtual, like you just talk to these things, right? It's like Jarvis in, yes. you know, right? And, know, right? and and a lot of sci-fi, like sci-fi is self-fulfilling uh, self prophecy. Yes. And that natural, just say whatever you want to the computer and it goes and does it. Like that's this in a nutshell where we're going we're just not there yet and i think that that ability to to have everybody use these devices to their full potential is really the nut of where this is valuable i cannot think of a better way to uh, encapsulate it all ben baharan creative strategies thank you very much anytime thanks for having me Analogies are not my strong suit, but I'll give it a try anyway. It seems to me that once you get past all the nomenclature and the talk about chatbots, that you could think of AI as a kind of seasoning. Like adding spices to a meal, adding AI to different parts of a device can enhance and extend the capabilities of that device on the whole. Through that lens, it's easier to understand why AI has such an outsized place in today's tech conversation. And while I still never need to see another app fill in the edges of a photo with details that never existed in the real world, I'm actually excited to see what new experiences AI can deliver and what old problems it can solve. If you have thoughts on intelligence, artificial or otherwise, send them to me. I'm often online at Captain Two Phones. That's Captain the number two phones on threads and Instagram. Until next time, thanks once more to my sponsor, MediaTek, and thanks to you for listening. I've been Michael Fisher, and I'll see you in the future. <laughs>